Our scripture this morning is from Mark uh, 4, verse 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowds behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Thank you, Graham. Anticipating this opportunity to speak uh, with an empty room, I was uh, thinking about the fact that maybe this is the smallest crowd I've ever spoken to. And then I remembered, no, it's not. Because back when I was uh, a campus pastor, I was invited to speak for a campus group called Athletes in Action. And I showed up uh, that night. Uh, They asked me to talk about sex and relationships. And so I prepared this sermon, and then I showed up. And uh, the room that they had booked was about the size of my living room. And there were three people there. And I don't know if you can imagine anything more awkward than talking about sex with three people, one woman and two men, and it was just incredibly awkward. So this is not the smallest gathering that I would ever speak to, but I was wondering if it might be the biggest because we are streaming this. It's possible. It is possible that, that really just thousands of people are watching right now. Well, this morning's story that we just heard read for us takes place in the evening at the end of a long day of teaching for Jesus, teaching that included the parable of the sower, which I'd like to read as a reminder or refresher for us this morning. This is Mark 4, verses 3 to 8. Listen, Jesus says. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. So during the season of Lent, we're exploring a number of stories from Mark's gospel that help illustrate the different ways that people respond to the good news of Jesus. And today we're going to take a look at the seed that falls on rocky places with no place to put down roots. So at the beginning of our story from Mark chapter 4, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. It had been a long day, and despite the crowds clamoring for more, Jesus calls it quits and suggests that they head over to the other side of the lake. He must have been near exhaustion because the passage says they took him along. When I was reading that this week, I had the image of when I was a father of little kids, and, and you would carry them from one place to the next, kind of slinging over the shoulder, and they're just exhausted, and maybe you're bringing them out to the car after a late-night family gathering or, or after they're, when they're t- tuckered out in the middle of the afternoon. And I remember that feeling, and, and while I'm sure no one was slinging Jesus over their shoulder, it was the same idea that he was exhausted from teaching all day, and they had to actually help him into the boat. They took him along just as he was. Now, earlier that day, Jesus had described 
those who are like seeds sown on rocky places, saying they hear the word and at once receive it with joy. And that's exactly what the disciples did. Every day was something new for them. His teaching, the miracles, the momentum that was building. And like the crowds, they probably just couldn't get enough. This is fantastic. The crowds are growing so fast. We're growing so fast. We're learning so much. But as the saying goes, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. I came across this little cartoon. It says, one character says, I finally found a way to make money on the internet. And the other person responds, does it involve a Nigerian prince? Right? Like we've all got that email, you know, just send me your bank transit number and, and you're going to be wealthy. I just need you to hang on to this money for me. No, it's not that simple. And similarly, when, when seed drops on the ground, it's not that easy to grow all the time. So the seed sprang up quickly, Jesus said, because the soil was shallow. Well, Jesus tempers the excitement of growth with the reality of the circumstances because sometimes an immediate reaction, even an exciting one, doesn't mean all that much. Now back to the story. They're all out on the boat together, making their way to one side of the lake. Just a nice evening, out on the water, some guys in a boat, enjoying the nice evening weather. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't at all. All of a sudden, the waves are coming up over the side of the boat. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. I've only been in a situation like this once. I was a teenager away at summer camp, Camp Wabanaki up in Huntsville, and we were up on our canoe trip. We would be gone for, I think it was four or five days, and we were in the middle of this canoe trip, and someone where we had stopped at one campsite warned us that the weather was supposed to turn really bad, but our counselors, who, when I think about it, they were probably like 17-year-olds, um, but at the time they seemed responsible, uh, and they said, like, you know, we're just going to press on. We got, we, we've got to keep up with the pace in order to, to get this canoe trip in. So we kept paddling, and we're paddling across this lake, and all of a sudden the winds start picking up, and the rain starts hammering, and there's like two of us in each canoe with all the packs in the middle, and it is like a wicked storm, and the waves are so high, the canoe is just cresting and crashing, and we're just like, we're all like screaming at each other. Half the guys are probably crying. And we're just like, we're going to die. We're all going to die out here. So I, I know a bit, little bit, a bit of a sense of what the disciples were going through here. A squall just comes up instantly, suddenly, a gust of wind, a localized storm, sometimes with rain in our climate, maybe sleet or snow. But there with the waves breaking over the boat is Jesus sleeping on a cushion. So, I mean, you picture the chaos, all of this, the sudden storm and everything that goes along with it, and Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. It's one of my favorite images in the Bible, this, all the chaos going on around him, and Jesus is just resting. I came across this t-shirt. It says, Jesus took naps. I'm just trying to be like him, Mark 4, 38. You know, not a bad idea, right? Well, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, this is interesting, because unlike my, myself and my canoe trip adventure, I mean, I was an inexperienced kid, um, but these were seasoned fishermen, at least a chunk of the disciples. This is what they did. They were out on the water. They lived around a lake. This is their familiar territory. I'm sure all of them had been caught in a squall before. Jesus' response to their concern was a response that, if I'm honest, sounds a little bit harsh. Why are you so afraid? So let's talk about fear for a minute. I've been on this planet for a few years now, been around the block once or twice, as they say, but this last week has been different. Last Saturday, so just over a week ago, I was at a social event, and they had a table full of food in the kitchen, and I went over, and they had a giant bowl of chips, and I dipped my hand in and grabbed a handful of chips, and I thought to myself, 
this doesn't seem like such a good idea right now. That was the first time I had a thought that I might need to change, and in fact, we might all need to change things. Uh, the next day, Sunday afternoon, I was out getting a few groceries, and, and I kind of grabbed the cart, and I was like, hmm, who else has touched this cart? And as I'm picking food up, I'm thinking, who else has been touching this food? Maybe, maybe this is going to become more difficult. On Tuesday, I went to the gym, and the whole time I was there, I kept thinking about how many hands have been touching this equipment, and, and I was trying to take the advice of not touching my face, but I've got sweat pouring down my face, and I'm just like, I can't do this. Like, but I was thinking, I might not be able to come here for a little while. Wednesday morning, I got an email that a conference I was supposed to be attending in Virginia the first week of April had been postponed. Wednesday night, I read the news that the NBA had shut down its season temporarily, and I read the news that the U.S. had closed flights from Europe. By Thursday morning, I was being flooded by emails and notifications, as I'm sure all of you were, people sharing the news, people wondering what to do, what's going to happen. By Thursday afternoon, I found myself in a grocery store with insane lines to the end of the store and all the way back up the next aisle, and no toilet paper at all. And oh yeah, in case uh, I don't forget this, we don't want to forget this, the economy apparently is spiraling out of control as well. There's this thing in the markets called a fear and greed index. It's a scale of zero to 100, and it measures the relative fear or greed of the economy. And as early as January, the number was up in the 90s. When I checked this week, it was at four, four out of 100. And then I kind of got a screenshot, and I threw it in for my PowerPoint presentation. But then I thought later, you know, after the markets dropped another 10%, I thought, I wonder if it's even lower. I checked again, it was at two, two out of 100. But here's the thing. I looked at another chart. It was the, the fear and greed index over time. And what happens is the chart goes up and down. It goes from extreme greed to extreme fear to extreme greed to extreme fear. There's hardly any time spent in that middle neutral ground. We have this tendency to swing. Which is why I think Jesus asked, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He saw the disciples' emotions swinging from extreme excitement to extreme fear. He wanted them and us to have a faith that is not dependent on our circumstances. Baxter Kruger writes, We are like the kid at the fair who suddenly realizes that he has been separated from his parents and is lost. He's in the midst of everything a kid dreams about, rides, games and prizes, stuffed animals, cotton candy. But he's so torn up on the inside he cannot even see the fair and is lost every shred of freedom to enjoy it. That's what the squall did to the disciples, and that's what the coronavirus can do for us, wipe out our perspective and leave us torn up on the inside. That's what a lot of us have been feeling this past week, all kinds of different emotions, and emotions that maybe we haven't felt before. Some of the thoughts that I've had, this is not how I think. This is not how I generally feel about things. It's different. This is new territory for us. Of course, the virus can do a lot more than leave us emotionally distraught, which is why we want to be smart about it. Wash your hands, don't touch your face. Wash your hands, don't touch your face. Okay, how many times have we heard this? And we will keep repeating this to one another. Around the church, we're talking to healthcare professionals in our church community. We're listening closely to instructions from outside authorities as well. We're learning about it. I got 
an email this week about a webinar that's going to be happening this coming week for churches to talk about how they can respond well to this current situation. And then I got another one inviting me to another webinar about the same thing. And then I got another email inviting me to another webinar. Like, like people are trying to learn. We're sharing uh, our experiences. We're leaning into the wisdom of people who know more than us. And, and so we're doing that. Around this building, we're putting up signs, reminding people this is a hands-free greeting space. We got hand sanitizer all over the place, uh, bought uh, at an extreme price. Um, but that's how much we care about you. And of course, we're reminding everyone, if you're sick, stay home, not, not only from this building, but from wherever you are. Think about it. Be wise. Part of uh, how we want to respond as a church community is to realize that we're really part of a, a broader community, and how we respond here is just a small piece of a larger puzzle. And so we want to be respectful of the broader community and do what we can do to kind of shut down the impact or the, the potential for things to spread in our region. So when I was at the gym on Tuesday, I overheard a conversation that some people were having. I was just finishing up. I was at the tail end of my workout and was really looking forward to getting out of there and getting clean. Um, but I heard some people talking, and one of them was saying something about, yeah, you know, I hear in some countries, you know, they're shutting down, like, gatherings over whatever number of people. And, and the one person quipped, well, thank God we don't go to church, eh? And I was just like, well, that's a random thing to say, but okay, uh, yes, I guess you don't have to show up at church. Um, and then a couple of other things were said, and I was thinking, like, oh, that's so interesting, like, how people are responding to this. But it was really the next thing that stood out that I thought, oh, this one is, this one's really good. I want to share this one. One of the people in that little triad having this conversation said, thing is, you can't give in to fear. You can't give in to fear. Lord, when were you working out at the gym and I didn't take your advice? Right? So for every action that we take to prevent the physical spread of the virus, we should take a parallel action to prevent the mental, emotional, and spiritual spread of fear. I was thinking about this advice that I, we've all been given to wash our hands uh, for a certain amount of time, and I heard someone say recently that you should sing happy birthday when you wash your hands. Like, that's how long you should wash your hands for. So you got the warm water, you got the soap, you're lathering, you're washing your hands, and you sing happy birthday. And I thought, well, why happy birthday? Like, we can do better than that. Like, why don't we say, okay, well, for us, we will wash our hands, and we will read uh, Philippians 4. So you turn the water on, you lather your hands up. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What if we committed to doing that when we washed our hands? Or what if when we washed our hands, we prayed for the situation around us? What if we turned on the tap, lathered our hands up, started washing, and said, God, I just want to pray for all the people in our world who are struggling with this right now, who are uh, dealing with this, the healthcare professionals and people trying to make decisions in our government. Pray for the people who are, actually have this virus, who are struggling with this. We just pray for health. And I pray for our family and our household. We pray for our region, our community, that we'd be protected from the spread of this. Like, what if we did that? I bet we'd wash our hands for a lot longer than 20 seconds. We start praying, we'd be there for like 15 minutes, and our hands would be like wrinkly because we remember. And so let's use these things as a cue to, to either bring Scripture to our mind or, or to pray for the people around us because fear is a virus too. Now, returning to Jesus' seed analogy, remember what he said, the seed sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, when trouble or persecution comes... The plants were scorched. Remember, we talked about this the last couple of weeks. The seed is a message, the message of the kingdom. 
and it carries with it an invitation to see the world differently and to act on this new understanding. So when the storms of life start crashing around us, whether it's this one or another one down the road, it can be easy to lose our grip on the good news that we've been given because the roots haven't gone down deep enough. But I read this interesting comment uh, of someone writing about this story in this passage, uh, Jesus in the boat in the midst of this storm. They said the disciples got into a storm because of their obedience to the Lord. They weren't in this storm because they did something wrong. They weren't in this storm because they had made some kind of mistake or they didn't have enough faith. They, Jesus actually encouraged them. But he didn't say, let's go into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and perish. He said, let's go over a promise of sorts that he and his disciples would cross over safely to the other side. You have to keep that in mind. Someone sent me an email this week. It was actually a, kind of a link to a Facebook post that someone put out there. You might have seen this one because apparently it went, uh, well, I guess we shouldn't say it went viral anymore. We'll have to come up with something new. Um, anyways, the title was, Woman Finds Out Plant That She's Watered for Two Years Is Fake. All right. Uh, the commentary she provides. I, des- I decided it was time to transplant. I found the cutest vase. Uh, I go to pull it from the original plastic container to learn the plant was fake. Uh, Wilkes described the plant as just an overall perfect plant. In reality, the succulent was plastic and sat on styrofoam with sand glued to the top. I felt like these last two years have been a lie, she wrote. And so there are all kinds of people responding uh, with different comments about like, oh, that's happened to me too, or whatever. Um, but my favorite comment was this person who wrote, you know what, that, you know what is fake? This story. And they went on a rant about how there's no way that the water would not have overflowed and she wouldn't have noticed. The water would have made the plant go moldy, like all these different things. I was like, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Well, in Jesus' parables, the plants grew up quickly because the soil was shallow, but they withered because they had no root. I was just kind of casually glancing around my office as I was writing this week and and noticed that uh, I have a couple of spider plants on my little... uh, cabinet, and uh, a couple of them are doing really well, but one of them is not doing well at all. One of them has basically two dried, withered strands hanging down. It's completely dead. It's just there. I water it every once in a while just in case, um, but it's not doing so well. Jesus said, since they have no root, they last only a short time. Even my plant, for a time, it looked great, but the roots didn't go down. They didn't take. Walter Brueggemann writes about the need for us to have what he calls a prophetic imagination. And he says, by imagination, I mean the capacity to generate and enunciate images of reality that are not rooted in the world in front of us. Thus, imagination moves outside the box of the given and the taken for granted. I think that's a beautiful reminder that at this time, we all need to develop a prophetic imagination to learn to see the world as it really is, and not only as it really is right now. And so in the recent email update I sent out to our community, I asked, what if instead of only sharing notifications about closers and cancellations, which are important, we started sharing about the things that we're doing to encourage health in other areas of our lives during this time? I think that could go a long way to providing some stability in the midst of uncertain times. But not only in these times, in all times. I'm talking about putting down roots allowing the good news that animates our faith to drive deeper and deeper into our lives so that it won't be pulled up whenever trouble or persecution comes, whenever a squall breaks out, whenever a medical emergency 
spreads in our community. Back to the story, if the disciples got into the storm because of Jesus, well, they got out of it because of him too. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. The invitation is for us to follow faithfully, come what may, trusting that Jesus is with us and is able to help us through whatever threatening storms we may face. So in closing, the message of the kingdom invites us to live in light of a reality that is not always obvious to us, that we don't always see in the world in front of us. Before we close with a word of prayer and our benediction, I'd like to read a a lengthy passage from Romans chapter 8. It's verse 18 to 39. There's a lot in this passage that I think speaks to us right now. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, as this passage reminds us, sometimes when we pray, we don't actually know how to pray. It's like groans. We don't know the words to speak. But you know. Your spirit knows. You intercede for us and with us. And so, God, at this time when there are so many questions, 
swirling all around us about what is happening, what will happen, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. God, I pray that you would remind us of your presence with us. As a church community, God, we join with millions of people this morning who are praying the same prayer, God, have mercy on us. Not just us as in a local community, but God, us as a human community. God, we ask that you would reach your hand out, that you would bring healness, that you would slow the spread of this virus, that you would bring wisdom and insight to people who are trying to come up with solutions, that you would help all of us who wouldn't have a clue how to solve this do our little part in solving it. And in the midst of all of it, God, we ask that you would grant us peace in our minds, on our hearts, in our spirits, that we would be able to continually look to you even as we make changes and alterations to our daily and weekly rhythms. God, may we be encouraged and invited and drawn toward you in this time, that we would draw closer to you, that we would crack open your word, that we would remind ourselves of who you are, who we are, and what's really going on in the world around us. Reveal yourself as present to us. And just as we've gathered across the city this morning, God now sends us out with caution and hand sanitizer to join in the renewal of all things in our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Let us pray. Lord, may we experience your presence throughout the week, recognizing where you're at work and responding to the promptings of your spirit. Give us the wisdom and strength to live the way you've created us to live, reflecting your love for the people and the world around us. Through our actions and our words, may you draw others to journey with us in faith. Remind us of your presence and give us your peace, both today and throughout the week to come. Amen.